Welcome to the Frontier Psychiatrist Podcast. The following episode is an interview with photographer Angela Capetta. She is a remarkable documentary style photographer. And in this conversation, we discuss her creative process and how her dedication is neither obsession nor addiction, but something greater. Oh, God, you're so annoying. I am. Hi, I'm Angela Capetta. Hi, I'm Angela Capetta. Hi, I'm Angela Capetta. And you do stuff with your day. What are the things that you do? I do a great many things with my days. I have one of those things called a job Mm. where I shoot for a living and I do motion and still and give all my money to buy film and then get my film scanned and to Amazon when I buy chemistry. I'm in the dark room a lot and I'm shooting a lot and I'm buying film a lot. A lot of these things are not revenue producing. Some of them are, Mm. not all of them. I think one of the most organizing things for people is work. If you were to take your job and Mm -hmm. frame it as a mental health product, what would your pitch be? I would say that nobody should do this for a living ever because there's a good chance you'll end up under a bridge. The risk of the treatment is high. (laughs) It's very high risk. I'm obsessed with everything about it. I think about pictures from the minute I wake up to the minute I fall asleep. As a gig, it's like any other job. You have to be able to run a business. And there are people who work in my field who run studios at stores, people who work for agencies and news wires. And there are a great many things people can do. The drudgery is fairly satisfying. There's drudgery in all tasks, in all fields. I I don't think it's escapable. Where is the solace? The shooting is the best part. The enjoyment one one gets from seeing something through by getting something over the finish line, a project or or a you know, body of work, a, pro, a grant application, getting it over the finish line, the goal. Does it actually feel good once it's over the finish line? Oh, it feels very good once it's over the finish line. But then you have to do another. Yeah, you do it every day. I apply for grants two, three times a week. It's part of my job. And I don't get most of them. I mean, it would be hard to get most of them. I mean, but that's kind of a lottery. Like it's, it's a bit of luck. It's a bit of luck. You don't know who you're applying against, whom you're applying against. You don't know who's on the committee. There are committees that are done in secret, like the Guggenheim. There are things you can't apply for. You have to be nominated, like, uh, for example, the Virginia Woolf, a room of her own grant. Or I think Rauschenberg, I think you can apply. There's some, there are a lot you can actually, for, for which you can submit an application, and there are a great many which you're tapped. So some of your job is basically gambling with your time yep. on whether you're going to get a grant. Uh-huh. <laughs> That's a great way of putting it oh god in yeah. the time money equation mm-hmm. for for you as a photographer it's worth it to spend some of the time on gambling mm-hmm. yes but not all of it yes some of your time is spent getting paid correct what is the most reliable getting paid strategy for you you figured out shooting a wedding so weddings reliably pay you reliably and they're very enjoyable hmm there is this horrible, like, I just listened to a podcast with Courtney Love. 
There's a what? I was I was setting up the horrible thing. And uh-huh. I, Courtney Love did a podcast. She did? Yeah. Interesting. About Kurt Cobain. About Kurt. About her husband. Yeah. Her late husband. Her late husband. Okay. But one of the things she pointed out was both she and Kurt were constantly lying to the press about how much they didn't want to be rock stars. I think, yeah, a lot of people do that. And she's like, I can't, why are you so credulous? Like, obviously we're lying to you. That's like the sport for rock stars is to lie to the press about why we do things. Like, we make shit up all the time to entertain you. That's our game. Right. It's part of the job. It's part of the job, right? The job is creating mystique. Correct. Correct. And so they're investing some time Mm -hmm. in unpaid work of mystique creation in the hope that they get the big payoff. Right. Press junkets are like that. I have friends who are actors who do press junkets. They don't get paid to do them. I mean, things like the hotel gets comped and I think they get flown out to do them, but they don't get paid a penny. But it's part of the job where you have to put a polish on the apple. How much of your time you spend gambling with your time? If I'm shooting a wedding, it's a Saturday night. I don't get there till the afternoon. I begin the process of documenting the day i stay till around 11 p.m and i go home when i'm gambling with my time i'm doing so in the morning when i'm fresh i've got coffee i'm doing grant applications if there's a grant application for which i need to submit new a new portfolio that i have to print in my dark room and then i have to write essay after essay after essay after essay that takes about three months and it costs me thousands of dollars. For a grant, I'm pretty sure I won't get. But it's worth it to me to try. Are you a junkie? Yeah, I'm <laughs> totally. That, it's pretty simple. I'm a, yeah, the answer is yes. Most junkies <laughs> have a very different way of getting the hit. Mm-hmm. And I think there is a like the reward for scientists, reward for artists like yourself, is actually you're willing to put in an ungodly amount of delayed <laughs> gratification. Yeah. Or no gratification. Well, yeah. Zero gratification. It's, it's a little bit like, have you heard about sex? You're <laughs> only going to get off one time out of a hundred, but go for it anyway. So right. Have, have a great date. Right. Right. Um, it's, <laughs> We use the term junkie pejoratively. Right. Um, but we're really talking about people who are responding to what their brain tells them to do, which is do more of this thing that feels good. Dopamine. Well, dopamine in a specific pathway called the nucleus accumbens. And I don't know that dopamine alone in the reward center of the brain explains satisfactorily to me why you do what you do. Well, would, would you like clarification yeah. on that? I would be happy to provide that. Have you gotten a grant? I've gotten a great many number of grants. And what's, fellowships. What's the feeling? It's an amazing feeling. It's an amazing feeling. When you sell prints to a museum collection, because you're an official, official elitist piece of shit. It's official. <laughs> the elitist piece of shit award for yeah. elitist piece of shit. Goes to Angela Capetta. That's a small part of it. But what it does is it edifies that what I'm doing is not a complete waste of time. 
Otherwise, the pictures just sit in a box. Yeah, they really do. They just sit in a box. Yeah. They're not meant to just sit in a box. For years and years and years, I just let the pictures sit in a box because I didn't really know mm-hmm. what to do. And then I matured and understood that there were things artists do to go through to the next phase. Mm-hmm. And those were the things that I started doing more of. But the pictures still sat in boxes and mm-hmm. I had to do things like scan them and package them and write essays for them and have them in folders and have them organized and then be able to just click a button and put that into the grant application on submittable and send it to submittable. I got a rejection letter yesterday. I love submittable rejection letters. Submittable rejection letters are very polite. I, I think they've really got a good shtick. Well, there's no way I got it because of course I didn't get it. Then you read the rejection letter and you're like, I didn't get it. Of course, I I knew I wouldn't get it. Yet it didn't stop me from doing that god awful application that took me four days anyway, because there was a chance Mm -hmm. I would get it. And I only apply to things that I think I can get. You essentially frame it as time arbitrage. You're Mm -hmm. doing it in the morning where you can't be generating revenue. Right. On shooting a wedding. Right. So it makes sense to gamble with your time if the dollar value of your time at 8 a.m. is low. Seven. But yeah. Is there something about earliness? I'm an early morning person. Night is misery for me. Mm. I was reading about Donald Trump this morning because you kind of, it's hard to avoid it. And yeah. he <laughs> and he like skipped out in his arraignment in Georgia because it was early. Well, he might not be an early morning He's person. He's not an early morning person. Some people I, aren't. I think late, I think the, the, the late, late Knicks. Yeah. Terrify me. They don't really grab it, grab at the apple the same way. You didn't have any choice. It seems like other than to be a photographer. I didn't. People become fascinated with things or they don't. I had explored other mediums that I enjoyed, but I wasn't really great at them. I didn't feel that click becoming obsessed with the whole process. So you describe it as obsessed. Yeah. I have a reframe that I'm curious to hear your thoughts about. Sure. Rewarded. With repeated exposure, Mm -hmm. did you get more out of each subsequent photography thought? Don't understand the question. So in obsessions in my world, yes, you're having these thoughts come into your head, whether you want to or not. Uh And the mechanism there isn't because it feels good. Usually you're doing something to deal with the fact that you're thinking about it. There's an intrusiveness to it. The other other way of thinking about it is every time you think about photography, you get rewarded for thinking about it because it's pleasant in some way. It feels right. And it feels righter because mm-hmm. you get more, pre- you dig the groove deeper. Mm-hmm. And so it feels righter and righter and then you get better at it and you have better thoughts and those feel more suited. And when you're thinking about the image, you feel good. I'm going to jump in and ask a question. question. Is this throughout the course of a day, an hour, a lifetime, lifetime. a week? I'm actually going over to... the course of that's, a lifetime. That's, that's very my, big that's my picture. Theory. That's my theory. I'm asking you, does that sound right? I mean, it doesn't sound wrong. 
I can just for the sake of argument say yes to that. I'm trying to figure out where in the brain it is. Right. The circuit. Right, right, right. A series of circuits. Because it, I mean, it's interesting because most things that are actually addictive, they make you feel rewarded immediately. You're describing a lot of activities that don't, that are delayed reward at best. And like, no, there's no like cocaine that feels good three weeks later. Right. Okay. I see what you mean. But this is more motivating to you than any any drug you've ever encountered. Any other thing. This is the most motivating thing to you. There's a uh, there's a bit of a social component to it that I forget about. Um, the thing about documentary style photography is that it is a ticket to a parallel universe, mm. and nobody says no to me. Mm. Because I'm pretty and adorable. Mm. So I get complete unfettered access to whatever I want, basically. All I have to do is ask. And that is impossible to say no to. Because I can take, take that time and I can make pictures of a parallel universe I would normally not have any access to. It's an open invitation to anybody's universe. If they say yes. Mm -hmm. But they have to welcome you in. I have to be, it has to be freely given or I don't want it. There's no magic in the intrusive. I don't understand. It has to be freely given because what? Because then if it's freely given, I'm able to tell a story. Is there a world in which you could just, you know, be the, the peeping Tom of Fergur? Like, is there a world where you could tell that story? I mean, you, there you is, would. There, there are milieus within documentary style photography where people do have that kind of fly on the wall, a little creepy kind of approach. And I think it may work for them. It's a little cosplay. It's. Yeah, like they're in, insinuating themselves in a way that that's not what I do. I mm -hmm. can't really speak to someone else's experience of that. But I, I'm interested in telling a story in a respectful way. You're a collaborative storyteller with your. I'm subjects. not. No, it's not collaborative. No, no because I'm Invited. not asking for anything when I'm there. I'm simply record i'm simply documenting and i don't know what the story is until i've looked at it in the rear view mirror mm. so if i'm in the middle of of infiltrating for lack of a better word uh, a parallel universe to which i've been invited uh -huh. because i've asked i am photographing and not knowing what the story is because it's too soon to know what the story is because the story will shape itself based on who's there, what I'm shooting, what they're wearing, did they have lunch that day, how much of it am I going to be photographing, will I go back, will I go to a similar place, what's the driving factor, how will I edit it, what mood am I in when I'm editing it. There are mm. so many invisible elements that do not present themselves while I'm shooting. Those come later. So this is why it's not an addiction. Because it's a great it's a great story. You don't get addicted to reading long form novels, right? There's no like um I think people are obsessive readers. I you disagree can be, with that. You, you can be, but you're not gonna 
The thing about this, you're so excited to learn what comes next. There's a voraciousness. There's a veracity. Mm -hmm. what, what's the word? It's veracity. I don't know what the word, whichever the word is, whatever that word is, that's what I'm after is the ver veracity, veracious, whatever the word is of pursuing an idea, seeing if it goes anywhere, parting myself with all my money to do it. It's a page turner. It's a bit of a page turner because I don't even know what's happening. But it takes a long, that is kind of a, it's a Socratic enough delight yep. that has to unfold over time. Yes. That means you can't just take a bunch of shit. Like the reason you can't, you, Angela, can't take predatory photographs other than that not being like a professional thing. Or right? maybe if you're like an espionage person or a perv <laughs> or something. But like the reason you can't do that is because that's not what you're into. It's not the it's, photo. It's not any individual picture. It's the story. It's a long acting. Yeah. <laughs> it, it, like satisfaction. I tend to, as an artist, just me, I tend to embed myself into long-term projects and just seeing, I'm curious and learning where they'll go. Mm -hmm. And I'm okay not knowing where they'll go. I'm okay with that. But the magic that makes it long-termable is that the whole time you know it's a page turner and you're waiting to get to the end of the mystery. I'm built for that. That's what I'm built for. And when I'm shooting, there's a part of my brain that is doing the math on the on the numbers on the the power the wattage of the flash the shutter speed the f-stop the film the, all of the numbers are are processing on one repeat cycle mm -hmm. as i'm shooting and the other side the other part of my brain is being a little bit psychic willing things to happen looking for where the story is having the the I guess, for lack of a better word, the creative kick. At, and they're happening at the same time. Mm. And it just kind of comes out through my fingertips and out of my right eyeball. Mm -hmm. But it's a little bit like you've done enough of this and you're so much of an expert. I think of the process of the print when you tap in the, the developer and you're seeing it come to life. And it takes five minutes in Selectol, so often like three minutes in Zectol or whatever. It's coming to life, but you've already known what's going to happen in that process. Yeah, and, and I've, there's never been a day it. of my life where I've wanted to use Select All Soft. So if we could just get that out of the way right now. You, what do you do? What do you use? None of your business. Okay. It's not relevant. So my darkroom is no off limits. Anything I do when you can look at me and you can see what I'm doing, free game. But that's not part... That's not part of the story. Mm -mm. I don't mm -hmm. think it is. Because I'm not really concerned about what someone else is going to think about it. I, I don't really I, I don't really care about that. I, I just want to see if the if there's a story to tell. I don't even know if there's a story to tell. So it's after the process. Then every part of the story is like the story's not done until it's done. Right. And it's are you even surprised when the story tells itself? I, I don't know. Uh, am I surprised? I just sort of accept it as an inevitability. A story will be told in these images. Somehow. There's a body of work I've been working on for a really long time. And I refuse to stop. I just refuse to stop shooting it. And It's not done yet. It, it's also not getting... It, it doesn't get a lot of attention for some reason i don't know if people yawn at it i'm not really sure i'm not really sure what to think 
because I find it very exciting, but I have not gotten a single grant with this project. Nobody will give me any money for this body of work. Well, it doesn't fit their ends yet. I, I don't know. I don't know what it is, but I have other bodies of work that do really well in the marketplace and they have pretty broad appeal and they've kind of gone out and you know, they've kind of like the pictures have just sort of run out into the world and just sort of made money for me and mm-hmm. made made whatever I need to keep keep the ship afloat and mm-hmm. they kind of come back. And this other body of work, it's just like digging a hole and throwing money into it every month and just setting the hole on fire. I get nothing back from it aside from the fact that I just cannot stop shooting it. That it's told you. Hmm? It, you didn't get much of a choice. Mm. Yeah. I just can't stop. I can't stop shooting it. You haven't stopped. I haven't, and I don't think I will. I'm obsessed with it. And I don't I don't get any commercial success from it. I don't get any art world attention for sure. it. Nobody gives a flying fuck about these pictures. But I love them. So when do you stop? Is it when the story's done? Yeah. I move on. But there's a moment when you know, or some collection of, no, I, it's done now. Mm-hmm. Yes. For whatever reason, the access has stopped. I feel like I've gotten what I came for. I can't get the film anymore. There are any number of factors that will stop it for me if I haven't stopped it on its own. I also sometimes don't know when to stop. If you're at the Pale King. By David Foster Wallace. I have not read The Pale King. Pale King is the posthumous book. Yeah, that's the one. Yeah, yeah. And it was put together by his editor after his death from what was left. Is it anything like Consider the Lobster? No. It's nothing like Consider nothing the Lobster. Like. I liked that book. I love that book. Yeah. Wasn't that a book that it came, It was an article he was assigned for a magazine and he just couldn't stop and it's he all, just wrote a book? It's all those, actually. Right. So the, the Pale King started as a novel about the IRS Processing Center in Peoria, Illinois. <laughs> Sounds like an amazing thing to shoot. I would go there and I would shoot the shit out of that. So he went to accounting classes. Mm-hmm. He actually took classes for accountants uh-huh. to learn how to write that book. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, died before it was done enough. But just, I mean, the so Infinite Jest is 1,500 or so pages. Yeah. And there are 500 plus pages cut. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. It's the edit that makes the work. Correct. Always. That always makes the work. Always. It's a it's a do or die. The edit is everything. And you don't always know what you need to cut until you have all the things to cut. Or until your editor makes a very valuable suggestion. So how much of this for you is with editor input and how, how much not? So I do have a body of work right now where I have a fair amount of editor input because it's being developed as a book. So I have an actual editor. She's fairly magnificent in that regard. She has showed me a pathway to, how do I describe it? To shape the edit in a way that's a book, specific to a book, because a book is not a show. A a book is not a grant application. A book is not a contact sheet. A book is a book. And a book must behave and the pictures must tell a story a certain way. 
Would you rather work with an editor or not work with an editor? I think I'm a pretty decent editor on my own, but I also think that sometimes having a little bit of input from an editor, I've been told that I'm a good editor, but by editors, but I think having an editor, someone who just does that all the time, uh, they're less afraid to kill your darlings Mm -hmm. for you. I am a little bit crippled as a human because I love working with an editor or being an editor. I mean... And I'm dissatisfied without it. You personally? Yeah, hate it. Fucking hate it. You hate working with an editor. I hate working without an editor. I don't mind. Can't stand working without an editor. Yeah, I think working with an editor is valuable, but, but I'm fine not yeah. not having an editor because I know how to write a project statement. Yeah. I know how to apply for mm-hmm. a grant. I know how to, you know, frame it up. And I just, I loathe it. I mean, that's fine. Yeah. You're allowed to loathe it. Yeah. It's a blessing to be satisfied without an editor in a way. Ah, interesting. I never would have thought about it that way. I do I do derive a tremendous amount of, of satisfaction by knowing <clears throat> that an editor has enjoyed the process of working on a project with me. It's very satisfying. My, my cousin, who's a mastering engineer, which is basically like an editor for your tone mm-hmm. of music, he, he describes... That's what you used to do. I did, some of it. He described like the best gig is one where you basically have to do nothing and just not fuck it up. Right. Because then you're working with something that's just beautifully done. Right. And, it's a symphony. But the more work he has to do often is less satisfying. So being an editor is a weird gig because like the editor's art is often in kind of salvaging something that's not very good and turning it into something really good that might not have been otherwise or just not destroying something great. Yeah. And the that's public a Tuesday. never gets to know. That's a Tuesday for yeah. me. You have an internalized editor of your own work. Correct. Which is kind of magic. Is it? I mean, it seems like it. I think... Uh, Same the work. Yeah, okay. Thank you, I guess. Thank you. I've never been given that compliment before, but I appreciate it. You're able to represent in your own mind what... The, the minds of your viewers and edit... I think you're just like... You're able to frame shift mm. from the person doing the shooting... Mm-hmm. The person editing the story in the minds of the viewers, various, in a way that works for me. At least. Sure, sure. Okay, yeah, I can get on board with that. Thank you for listening to the Frontier Psychiatrist podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, you can subscribe to the newsletter at thefrontierpsychiatrist.substack.com uh, or right here on whatever podcast platform you're listening on and leave it a review of five glorious stars. We are thrilled to have you as a listener and reader. Keep coming back. Thanks much.